Many of you have been on this journey with us through our study of 1 John, an amazing, amazing book. And what you have seen is that John is addressing false teaching that has come into the church, into the lives of the people that he is writing to. And friends, what we have seen is that false teaching, false beliefs are common to every generation. Every generation has been impacted by teaching and by beliefs that are inconsistent with the Word of God. The problem is we become so inundated with these deceptive lies that we don't recognize them for the lies that they are. And so what happens is what we believe impacts everything in our lives. It impacts ultimately how we live and even what we feel. And so what John has been saying is, here is the lie, here is the truth. Here is the lie, here is the truth. And we're going to see him continue with that this morning. And as we do, what I want you to see is what, what he says is really the foundation of his purpose in writing this letter in the first place. From 1 John 5 verse 13, he says this, I write these things to you. I've written this to you. For what reason? So that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may be confident that you have eternal life. That you may be assured that you have eternal life. So John is writing this letter to combat false beliefs that rob us of the confidence in the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Simply this, that God extends grace to all of us. What is grace? Grace is a gift that you do not earn, you do not add anything to it, and all you have to do is to receive it. And the way that we receive it is through faith alone. I don't add to what Jesus has done in my life by my holiness or my righteousness or my good works. I don't add to anything that God has done for me in Jesus Christ. I receive it as a gift. And in response, I want to live a life that honors and pleases the God who loves me more than I love myself. He has made me righteous, not by my efforts. He has made me righteous by the work of Jesus in my life. And I receive that amazing gift by believing and trusting that I need Jesus in order to receive salvation. Now this morning, what we're going to see is that there is a teaching in that day that says simply this. It doesn't matter how you live your life. You can live your life any way that you want because the grace of God has already been extended to you. You have been forgiven, so it doesn't matter how you live. And we're going to see this morning what God has to say about that in this passage. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 4, and I'll read through verse 10. Listen to what he says. 
Everyone who breaks, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he may take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning since the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God's will continues to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Wow. What does that mean? We're going to find out in just a moment. If you um, have your sermon outline, I want you to take that out. Uh, you should have received it as you came in this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage and what's very helpful in this particular passage is understanding the original language that, uh, in which this passage was written. Because language matters and it's different from the way we use language today. And so we're going to walk through this and it's my prayer that it will completely make sense to you. So here's the first thing that I want you to see. Sin is compatible with number one, the law of God. A sinful life is incompatible with the law of God. Listen to what we read in verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Well, that makes sense, right? God has given me his statutes, his commands, his laws, and he has commanded me to obey those laws. You have been commanded to obey those laws as well. We are to to honor the laws of God, we are to love the statutes of God. He says that whoever sins breaks the law. Now, we think of breaking the law like, uh, let's say, I mean, I would never do this, and I'm sure you wouldn't either, but let's just say you were going 75 in a 65 mile an hour zone. Yeah, that would never happen. But let's say you were doing that, right? Well, you're breaking a law, but you don't feel that bad about it unless what? Unless a policeman catches you, right? Then you feel bad about it. But we don't feel bad unless we're caught. Because it's just a, it's just a law in the books. That is not the Jewish understanding of breaking the law. In the, the mind of the scriptures, when we break a law... We are breaking a relationship. That is very, very a very different perspective. When I break a command of God, I am breaking my relationship with God. I am saying to God, I don't really care what you think about this. I don't really care what you are teaching about this. I want to live life my way. And so when we understand that sin is rupturing a relationship, not just breaking some law on a piece of paper, it begins to mean something to us. Now he goes on to say this. 
He says, in fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, let me explain what this word lawlessness means. Because this is the word that he's using throughout this passage. Lawlessness comes from a Greek word that is anomia. A-N-O-M-I-A. Now, anomia is a word that is very powerful because it has to do with detesting something. So lawlessness is more than breaking a command. All of us sin every day. If we've ever had a desire that was not God's desire, if we ever had a thought that was not God's thought, If we ever did something we knew we shouldn't do or didn't do something we knew we should do, then we have sinned. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about somebody who literally detests the laws of God, has no respect for the statutes and the commands of God. They don't know them and they don't care about them. So here's a passage from Leviticus that uses that very word, and it really gives you a good understanding of what he's talking about. He's not talking about people who, in the course of life, sin. He's talking about people who sin and don't care about it. It makes no difference to them. He says this in Leviticus, they, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity. This word iniquity is the word anomia. Now listen to what he says, what God says about that. Because they rejected my ordinances, my laws, my statutes, and their soul, listen to this, their soul abhorred my statutes. What does that mean? They hated them, they detested them, they despised them. They said, I have no desire to live according to that. I'm gonna live my way. Now There are people, different kinds of people in churches. You'll you'll have people that on the one hand falsely believe that their obedience is necessary for salvation, that my good life adds to my salvation or leads to my salvation. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Paul in particular addresses that issue. But on the other extreme... You have people who say, God has forgiven me. I can live any way I want. I don't care about the commands of God. I don't care about the laws of God. I'll live life my way. And so when we are lawless, when we ignore our sin, and we habitually continue in a sin without any effort, any care, any concern, any work to address that issue in our lives... It is reflective of the reality that we, John says, don't really know God. Because our heart's desire should be to stand against sin in our lives. Now, it could also be just that you have been susceptible to a false teaching. Because the reality is, we are to seek to be holy as God is holy. We will never on this side of heaven be holy as God is holy. But we seek to live a life that honors him and shows love for his word and his laws. Now hear this, hear this. His laws reflect his character. It reflects who God is. So when we are seeking to live as God calls us to live, we are saying to him, we trust you, we love you, 
we will obey you. Jesus said it this way. In John 14, he said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You see, obedience becomes an expression of my love for God. But it makes sense, doesn't it? If, if the laws come out of the character of God, and he has given me everything, my response is with gratitude. I want to live the life that he created me to live as an expression of trust in him. I remember when one of my children said to me, Dad, whenever I was tempted in junior high and high school to do something I knew I wasn't supposed to do, she said, I chose not to do it partly because I didn't want to dishonor you as a pastor in the community. Isn't that powerful? I didn't want to dishonor you. I wanted to honor you as my father. And I think that comes close to what it means to obey God's commands. I don't do it to get God to love me. He already loves me. I don't do it to be accepted. He already accepts me. I do it out of gratitude and out of love for the one that loves me more than anyone in this world, even more than I love myself. What an incredible picture God has given to us. One commentator said it this way, it re anomia refers to those who have resolutely, that means they've made a decision to turn away from God to the point where they can no longer be regarded as his people, but are in fact his enemies. This very word was the same word that was used when John was talking about the sins and the heart of the Antichrist. They detest the commands of God. Nobody is going to tell them what to do. They're going to be their own person. They're going to live life their way. That is a rejection of God himself, not just his laws, it's a rejection of God. In, in the book of Judges, verse 20, uh, chapter 21, talks about a time when the nation was walking away from God. And here's what it says. Listen to this. Everyone did as they deemed fit. Well, doesn't that sound like our world today? Everybody did what they thought was right. They became the ultimate standard of what was right and wrong. They lived life their way. Not God's way, their way. And that's when the Lord stepped in. And he brought judgment upon the nation. In, in the form of a, of a neighboring nation that attacked them. Friends, God is calling us to love his laws and, as an expression of the nature of God. And to obey as a sign of our trust in God. Do you see how it's about relationship? Not about some law in a book. It's about relationship. It's the opportunity to say, God, I love you. Here's a second thing. Oh, well, let me just share with you. Um, I wrote down just a few things that um, I, I do want to take a moment and just share with you. I have seen this lived out in so many different ways. And one of the questions that I give for you this week in, uh, in your bulletin is where do you see this attitude in the church and in the world today? Well, I, I just wrote down some, some things. 
Christians who justify in their own minds that it's okay for them to be just a little dishonest in their business dealings or in school or in their marriage or with their parents. Dishonesty has become one of those acceptable sins in our culture today. Someday I'm going to do a, a series called Acceptable Sins. We have a lot of them. Gossip is another one. We just accept it when we should fight against it. What is habitual in your life as a rebellion against God that you have never, you've never wanted to stand against because you enjoy it, because you like it, because you want it to be a part of your life? God wants you to stand against it. Christians who choose to hate others or will refuse to forgive, even when the other person has asked for forgiveness. Christians who turn their eyes away from injustice. They just refuse to get involved. Christians who are deceitful and lie to others and they see nothing wrong with it. Impatience, unkindness. One of the things that we have seen in my generation is this sexual freedom that kids growing up today are impacted by. I remember I was at my last church for 21 years, and I remember the first decade that I was there, did lots of weddings, did about 15 weddings a year. We had a young church. And I found in premarital counseling, those, that first decade, hardly anybody lived together. Now, we had a policy where if they were willing, it's based on this passage, if they were willing, if they were living together and they wanted me to marry them, if they were willing to live apart from one another for the rest of their engagement, then I would still marry them. Because they were making a decision to now live in obedience to the word of God. Now, after 10 years, what I began to see more and more and more couples living together before they were married. Because, and, and what they would say to me is, well, that's what everybody does. And friends, a lot of these kids were coming out of Christian homes and Christian schools. And I would say to them, what do your parents think about this? And they, oh, they're, they're fine with it. And what, it real, what I realized was God's holiness in this area has become so watered down in the American culture that we don't even see it as an issue anymore. We don't see it as a problem anymore. The God we worship is a holy God. And it's, his holiness is his nature. His laws reflect his holiness, reflect his character. And so when I live as God calls me to live, even though it may not be what I want, I'm honoring him and I'm loving him and I'm trusting him. Do you see that? It is so critical. Well, here's the second thing that John says, and that sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. It's incompatible with the work of Christ. Now, he's, now you could get lost in this, but remember, he's talking about this, this lawlessness, this rebellion against the commands of God, this decision that the laws of God don't pertain to me, that I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to do my thing in this world. That's what he's talking about here. So listen to what he says. He says, but you know that he appeared, speaking of Jesus, so that he might take away our sins, and in him 
is no sin. Jesus appeared. He came into the world. And to do what? To deal with the problem of our sin. Why was sin a problem? Because we have the seed of Adam. And so because we have received the seed of Adam, we are sinful even at the point of conception. That sin is passed on to us. We are incapable of living the perfect life that Jesus lived. Jesus was not born of a man. He was born of the Holy Spirit. And he, there was no sin in him. Now go down to verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What does that mean? Jesus came to set you free from the power of sin in your life. Jesus came to set you free from the hand of the devil. You are no longer a slave of the evil one. You are now a son and a daughter of the king of the universe. That is what it is saying. Jesus rescued you. Jesus redeemed you. Jesus purchased you by the price of his death, by the price of his blood, and his body that was abused. He purchased you so that sin would no longer have power over you so that you would receive forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. And that forgiveness has set you free. If we are cavalier about sin in our lives, if we are just habitually living life, ignoring God, detesting his laws then what we are doing is we are demeaning and diminishing the death of Jesus on the cross. God took sin so seriously that he gave the life of his son. Jesus died because of the sin in my life and your life, and he set us free. My desire to be holy is not to get God to love me, is not even to be saved. It's not to go to heaven. It's not to be liked by God and accepted by God. My decision to seek to be holy is a response of, to the love and the goodness of God and how he sees sin in my life. And so what do I do? I want to battle against it. I want to identify it in my life. And instead of just accepting it, I want to choose by the power of the Holy Spirit to stand against it. I want God to make me more and more holy as a sign of my love for him. Not to be saved, but a sign of gratitude. God, thank you. Thank you for loving me that much. We read on and we see in verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now, he's not talking about just the things that happen in life. He's talking about things that we habitually do out of an attitude of, of hatred for the laws of God. And as an attitude of detesting the laws of God and the commands of God. Of acting as if they have no authority in my life. He says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. 
He's not talking about, he's not talking about earning our salvation. He's talking about taking our sins seriously. Here's the two things he means in this point about the work of Christ. Number one, God hates sin and he gave the life of his son to deal with our problem of sin. We should take sin seriously. Number two, he is the model of righteousness. And we are to seek to live and walk in his steps. We are to seek to honor him in the way that we live our life. We are to seek to bless him in the way that we live in this world. When my daughter came and said that to me many years ago, my heart swelled with gratitude. Not because she was a good kid, but because of her desire out of love for me and love for what I was called to do in that community. She wanted to honor her father. Do you think that feels good? It's amazing. When I seek to obey God, it doesn't add to my salvation. What it does is it says, Father, I love you. I'm so thankful for what you have done for me. I want to live the way I was created to live. You see, friends, I believe that the ordinances and the statutes and laws of God are a great gift to me because they teach me how to live the life God made me to live. And when I live as I was created to live, I'm most at peace. I, I have the greatest joy. I have the greatest sense of purpose because I am what I was made to be. That's freedom. That's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, he said, come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden. Are you burdened today? Are you overwhelmed today? He said, come to me. He says, my yoke is easy. My yoke, my burden that I place upon you is light because it fits you. A yoke was something that was made for the shoulders of each, of each oxen. Now, some oxen are wider, some are thinner, just like people. And that yoke was made by the carpenter, and that's mainly what Jesus would have done as a carpenter is make yokes, was made for the shoulders of that particular oxen. God's design for your life fits who he made you to be. Obedience leads to freedom. I love the laws of God because that's when I'm most free. And then the third thing he says is this. Sin is incompatible with the presence or the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I love this. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. Now, what is that? The seed of God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who he's talking about here. When I made the decision to believe and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit was given to me so that God may live, make his home in my life. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict me of sin. If I am habitually sinning in an area of my life, ignoring the commands of God, detesting the, the commands of God, 
then I have completely shut the Holy Spirit out of my life. Listen to what he says. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. It's not possible. And again, he's talking about lawlessness because they have been born of God. I am a child of the king of the universe. Loved by God, I have received his spirit in my life. The Spirit convicts me of sin. The Spirit leads me. The Spirit guides me. The Spirit empowers me. And when I surrender, the more I surrender to the work of God in my life, the more I live within the fruit of the presence of God in my life. And he says this, this is how we know that we are the children of God and who the, know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. We'll talk about that next week. Friends, remember what John is talking about. The purpose of this book is that we may be assured of our salvation. And so he's saying, look at your life. Have you turned your back on Jesus? Have you turned your back on his statutes? Is faith for you just something in your head that has no impact in your life? Is faith in Jesus just something getting a card punched so that you can go to heaven? Or is faith in Jesus a relationship where you love the living God and you want your love, your life to reflect his love for you and your love for him. We saw last week that we are children of God. When we come into relationship by faith alone in Jesus, receiving his grace alone, what we realize is that we are his children. I'm a prince in the kingdom of God because my father is the king of the universe. You can still call me Don. But if you want to call me Prince Don, I'm okay with that too, okay? <laughs> I am a child of the king of the universe. I want to live into that reality. How do I live into that reality? I live by, I do it by living as a prince. I do it by understanding and living out the reality that my dad is the king of the universe. My father in heaven is the king of the universe. I'm going to close with this story. This comes from a pastor that I enjoy, Matt Chandler. He tells a story of coming home one night, and I'm sure this has never happened to any of you as parents, but he came home and his son was playing a game on his Xbox. That's just something us kids do if you're not familiar with it. And, and he, asked, he had asked his son to clean his room. And after a pause... His son went to clean his room and to start on his other household chores, which include, included vacuuming the house. Chandler says, as I left to start unloading the dishwasher, I heard him turn on the vacuum for about 45 seconds. Sound familiar? 45 seconds. And then his son, Reed, came back and happily reported, I'm done. 
Chandler responded, you vacuumed the whole house. Uh-huh. Son, Superman could not have vacuumed this house that fast. It takes more than 45 seconds to vacuum this house. I did, Dad. So I did what a loving father would do. I took his hand and said, let's walk around and see. We walked around the house, and over in this corner, we found an entire bag of goldfish crackers that had been spilled on the floor. It looked like somebody had actually intentionally dropped them and then danced over them. I said, Reed, did you vacuum this? And Reed said, I didn't see it. Okay, but it's on the floor. You're supposed to vacuum the floor. I don't know how you missed it. So we vacuumed together. We walked around and I showed him other obvious things that he failed to see. It reminded me of the line in the Gospel of John when Jesus says, we will make our house with you. God will come through the Holy Spirit and make his home in you. Because that is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He takes us around the house of our heart and he says, hey, look at these crushed up goldfish. It's going to be awesome to get rid of these. Bugs are going to get in here and bad stuff is going to happen. But there's going, and there's going to be a smell here. Let's get this cleaned up. I'm going to help you get that cleaned up. He wants to clean up places that we didn't even know we were dirty. This week, as I was working on this, and you got to know that when I preach, I preach always first to me. I need to hear these things. <coughs> and the Spirit of God revealed. I don't know if I trust you. Okay, thank you. Repentance. I shouldn't dig deeper, should I? I'm going to get myself in even more trouble. There are areas of my life that I was ignoring. I was just accepting, oh, that's just me. Or that's just what I do. Or that's just how my mind thinks. And this week I said, no. No. Spirit, come. Come and cleanse me. Come and set me free. Come and make me new. I'm your child. And I love my Father in heaven. I will always be his child. And I want my life to reflect more and more who he is. John says, that becomes the evidence of salvation. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the joy it is to be with my friends here. Lord, what an honor and a blessing it is that I get to share with them the great things, Lord, that I'm learning and how I'm growing and how you are changing me. I love these friends, Lord. Bless them. If there be any here who faith is just really just in their heads and it's never transformed their lives at all, they've never wanted to change, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to them. And for those of us, Lord, that have areas of flat edges in our lives where we've just not wanted to look at it or we've not wanted to change because we like the way things are, 
we pray, Lord, that we would take responsibility and by your gentleness, we would receive your yoke and, Lord, we would live in a new way. Thank you for being with us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.